happy you're joining us on our Brentwood Church podcast. To find out more about Brentwood, go to brentwoodchurch.org. During this episode, Pastor John shares a great message that we pray will lead you to new and deeper levels with Jesus Christ. So open up your Bible or Bible app and grab a notebook or simply listen along. Hey, turn with me to 2 Samuel chapter 11. If you are new to this series, you weren't here last week, we started with this reality. Everybody has a boss. Everybody has a boss. I mean, even if you don't uh, uh, work in, a, in, a, in an environment uh, where there is a, a manager or, a, or an owner or wherever, maybe you work for yourself, we all live in environments where there are people leading us, people who are in authority over us. On the flip side, we're all, in some context, also a leader. We're a boss, if you will. I mean, if you're a parent, you are a leader. You're a manager of your children, your home. You, you, you are a neighbor. Uh, you're part of an organization. Whatever, you are a leader. And so what we've been looking at is, okay, man, leadership sometimes can go really, really wrong. How do you not be a bad boss? Instead, how do you be a great leader But also, how do you be a wise follower? How do you not be a foolish follower? And sometimes that happens, doesn't it? You know, you have a bad boss. You have a a boss that's not really doing what he or she should. And instead of being wise about it, you are foolish about it. And you do things that blow up just as much as your boss. And so we're going to look today at this question that we started last week. And this, how can you be a wise follower when you work for a lousy leader. All right, we're gonna get to 2 Samuel in just a second. Uh, Those of you who are parents, and it's a safe place to admit this, how many of you in your parenting, one or more of your kids, maybe you at some point would say this to all of them, or at least wonder this, they did something or they said something and you wondered, are they gonna make it? If you're a parent, just go ahead. Am I the only one? Like, you, you just, he said something, she said something, they did something, and you just said, is he going to make it? Is he going to be living in my house when, when he's 30? You know, oh, oh, is, she, is, she, is she really going to launch? Is, I don't know. You know, is this going to happen? You've wondered that as a parent. And if you, haven't, if you don't have kids and you will someday, you will wonder that. There's also that time, though, as a parent where they do something or they say something and you're like, they're going to be the president of the United States. They're going to be the next Zuckerberg. They're going to find the cure for cancer, like what you just did and what you just said. In fact, sometimes that thing can happen. That same dynamic can happen in a 15-minute span of time. One minute you're like, oh, are you going to make it? And the next minute you're like, you're brilliant. Well, I had one of those experiences this week. My youngest... My son, Chase, he's 13 years old. He's in sixth grade. He came home from school. And that evening, I said, how was school today? And he said, it was okay. And, and I asked him if I could tell the story. So, you know, just, just know that. He said, it was okay. I said, well, what happened? He said, well, this kid that sits beside me in this class, he looks over at me and he asks if he can cheat off of my paper. He wants me to give him the answers. I said, well, what did you say to him? I said, sure, you can cheat off my paper. 
And that's one of those moments where I was like, is he going to make it? Is he going to be running guns across the border of Mexico? Is he going to find a way around that wall? Yeah, is he going to hack into the, the Pentagon and, and have to live in Russia the rest of his life? Is that who this kid is going to be? That's one of those moments. But then he said something right after that that totally changed the dynamic. He said, sure, you can cheat off my paper. Just go ask the teacher if it's cool with her. And if it's cool with her, it's cool with me. And I just thought, you're a genius. Like you, you totally flanked him. That was awesome. And that's one of those moments where I'm like, he's going to be president of the United States. And then he forgot his lunch the next day. But you know how I'm. So, so here, here's the thing. There are going to be times when you are under leadership, and we're talking about the workplace. That's not the only environment that we're talking about, but it's a primary environment. You're going to work for a boss, and he or she is not just dealing with bad decisions. He or she's not just dealing with competency issues or maybe a leadership style that doesn't jive with you. He or she is immoral and unethical, and you know it, and everybody else knows it. The question we're going to wrestle with today is, how can you be a wise follower with an immoral and unethical boss? The key there is wise. How do you be wise? How do you not be foolish as a follower when you are leading or when you are following under an immoral and unethical boss? Here's the thing. We have three options. We can do what? We can ignore it, right? You can go home from work or you can go home from that team or you can go home from that organization and go, I know he's doing this. I know she's doing this. I know he is stealing. I know he lies to the team. I know that she is having an inappropriate relationship with somebody in the office. I know this, but I'm just going to ignore it. But then you have to lay your head in your pillow at night and just go, but wow, am I by not saying anything, by not doing anything, passively enabling this? or maybe worse, even complicit in it by not saying anything. We can ignore it, but there's the back end of that. We can quit, and some of you have before. Some of you have been in those situations where, you know, man, you couldn't take it anymore. Take this job and shove it. I am out of here. And you quit, and you went on to the horizon of your next season. But then you thought as you were fading away, yeah, you got away from it, but you never told the company you, you walked out of there with your PR story. Yeah, this just isn't for me anymore. Yeah, I've got another opportunity. But you never told leadership, you never told anybody why you really were, that there was some unethical and immoral things going on in leadership. And you left that company and you left those team members behind to figure it out themselves. And you thought, man, I still feel a little bit bad about that. Maybe a lot. Or you can confront the person. You can confront the immoral, unethical leader. And guess what? All your fear buttons get pushed at that moment, don't they? You start to think, wait a minute, what if he retaliates? What if she targets me? What if I get fired? What if I get blackballed? Or what if I have to deal with the backlash of the whole organization? by confronting it. 
We've all wrestled with one or more of those in some situations. Today, we are going to look at the wisdom of the scriptures because the scriptures gives us guidance and gives us the wisdom that we need. The scriptures never leave us hanging on this bad boss thing. How do I be a great leader and a wise follower? To answer that, we find ourselves, ironically, looking at David, the guy we looked at last week. Remember him? The wise follower who was following under a really jealous and narcissistic king, was able to, in that moment, follow the heart of God. And even in the spite of this man's behavior, was able to follow wisely and set him up. This same guy, the same David and Goliath, the same that slayed his ten thousands, is now king. He's now sort of the boss of the land. But something happens with him. And he goes from being a wise follower to a really bad boss. The same thing can happen to all of us. In one season, you can be winning this whole thing and go down the wrong path and get in the wrong place and find yourself exactly where David is today. So we're going to look at it from the leader's perspective and we're going to look at it from a follower's perspective. We jump into the story of David and Bathsheba. Many of you know this story. It's a very, very intense story. David has let all of his generals and all of his commanders and all of his soldiers go off to war while he took a summer off. And what happens? Let's jump in. Verse two. One evening, David got up from his bed and walked around the roof of the palace. From the roof, he saw a woman bathing The woman was very beautiful, and David sent someone to find out about her. So what what is happening? David, as a leader, is going down a path. And I'm going to get to to this in just a second, but but I want us to keep finding out what David does here. It says in the next verse, it says, The man said, she is Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite. She's married, David. Then David sent messengers to get her. She came to him, and he slept with her. David goes from bored on the roof to using his power and using his position to take advantage of this other man's wife to indulge his own appetites. He has gone from there to there in just one decision. Now, arguably... David had been making trade-offs all along the way. But what happens to David as a leader? And I want us to, to really think about this. David believes he's the exception. He's the exception. He believes that because he has brought so much victory and so much success to Israel, that he gets a pass, that somehow he gets a get out of immorality, get out of being unethical free card. You can just do it. And I think sometimes this happens to us. We're working for the company. We're solving problems. We're going up through the chain. We're winning. We're helping people. And then all of a sudden, we think to ourselves, hey, I should be able to get a little bit of that. I should be able to take some of this. We start to believe that we are the exception. I want you to look to the person beside you and say, I am not the exception. Go ahead, say it. Say it loud, say it proud. I am not the exception. Oh, no. 
Oh, no, girlfriend. I am not the exception. Uh-uh. Uh-uh. I'm not the exception. And, and, and we have got to realize that. We are not the exception. God has wired the universe. He even says it in the book of Deuteronomy. Be sure, the book of Numbers, sorry, it's one of those five books. He says, be sure that your sins will find you out. They will find you out. You are not the exception. I am not the exception. David believes he's the exception. Some of you are working for that person. Some of you have been tempted to be that leader, that person at the company who thinks he sleeps with her. Then the woman conceives and sent word to David saying, I am pregnant. Emoji, angst face. You guys know what I'm talking about. I'm pregnant. Uh Uh-oh. Now, I could spend a lot of time on this, but this isn't the focus of what we want to talk about today. I mean, I I could teach a whole series on this and what we can learn from David and the trade-offs that he made and how he thought he was the exception. And and, and here's the bottom line. David has two choices here. He can come clean with his sin. He can come clean with what he's done wrong. And I'm going to tell you this. It's going to have consequences. He's going to lose influence. It's going to be uncomfortable. Uh, People are going to... Uh, leave him. Uh, people are, are not going to follow him anymore. Uh, there are going to be consequences in the spiritual authorities of, of his life. I mean, all kinds of things are going to happen if he comes clean. But here's what's going to happen if he comes clean. Yes, he will go through a road of, of pain and, and a road of consequences, but he will be free. He'll be free. He'll be free from the secrets. He'll be, he'll be forgiven of the sin. And he will be on his road to recovery and repentance. Or, or he can take what he thinks is the easy way. It's never the crime, is it? It's always the cover-up. Mm-hmm. He can cover it up. And that's exactly what he decides to do. He calls Uriah the Hittite back from the battle. He says, Uriah, why don't you go hang out with your wife tonight? It'll be great. And he wants Uriah, of course, to get her pregnant. So Uriah thinks that the child is his and so on. Many of you know this story. Of course, what happens, Uriah is so loyal to the men who are back there fighting the battle and, and, and so uh, loyal to the king that he doesn't feel like he should comfort himself with the conveniences of home and the intimacy of his wife because so many of his friends are off b- fighting the battle. And David's like, no, 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 go ahead. No, no, go ahead. But Uriah doesn't. So what does David do? He enters deeper into the, con, into, the, into the concealment. In the morning, David wrote a letter to Joab. He's the general of the army. And sent it with Uriah. Literally sent this letter with Uriah. In it, he wrote, put Uriah out in front of where the fighting is fiercest. Then withdraw from him so he will be struck down and die. So while Joab had taken or, or had, had the city under siege. What happens? It says he put Uriah at a place where he knew the strongest defenders were. When the men of the city came out and fought against Joab, some of the men in David's army fell. Moreover, Uriah the Hittite died. What just happened? Uriah takes his own death sentence written by his own king to the front lines. David is now not only an adulterer, some would even argue a rapist. He is now a murderer and he's covering it up and he's covering it up and he's covering it up. I think some of you may be there today 
I think, I think you may be there. And, and I'm not saying this out of, out of judgment or condemnation. I'm saying this out of experience. Man, I've covered up my stuff before. I didn't want to deal with the consequences. I didn't want to deal with the embarrassment. I think some of you are trapped, and you've been trapped for years. And you keep covering it up, and you keep covering it up. And I think today is your day just to be free, just to be free. Because David, man, the next season of his life got more and more dark. And that might be where some of you are. And it's why your prayers are hitting the ceiling. It's why when you come in here and we're singing songs like, Holy Spirit, you know, come in and, and op- open me up and, and, and speak to me, that, that it, it's numb in your heart. Because you are neck deep in a cover-up. And God keeps saying, repent, own this, stop concealing it. That might be where you are today. But again, this is about working for somebody like that. And so what happens? How do we see how a follower of David approaches David's sin? Well, enters the prophet Nathan. Nathan, just to give you a little backstory, Nathan is a prophet who came to David earlier on and encouraged David, gave David affirmation of who he was. And, 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 and now something happens to Nathan. Nathan is called to do something that I think some of you are going to be called to do. Maybe not for your boss at work, although that's an option, but maybe for a family member or a friend or someone you know who is in the thick of a cover-up, who is in the darkness, and you know it, and they know it, and maybe a lot of other people know it, but nobody wants to say anything. Did you know that only 5% of the population likes confrontation? And you know who those 5% are. You have them in your life. That, that 5%, just a, just a no about that 5%. If nothing's going wrong, if you're not fighting about something, they will figure something else to fight about. You're sitting at the dinner room table, everybody's, or the dining room table, and everybody's having Thanksgiving dinner, and it's all pleasant, it's all nice, and there's not enough conflict, and that 5% who's in your family says, so, what's the deal with the president? 5% of the population. 95% of the population, we just don't like to confront things. It's sort of like this, hey, uh, hey, it'd be kind of nice if you stop doing that. Right? I mean, that's bold for 95% of the population. 5%, you know who you are. We love you. Sometimes we want to smack you, but we love you. We need you. Nathan is a prophet. What's Nathan going to do? First, we see a couple things about Nathan and his approach to his boss, who is immoral and unethical. It says, first verse, the Lord sent Nathan to David. And this is not rhetorical. Who sent Nathan to David? The Lord. Who? Yeah, the Lord. The Lord did. It wasn't the break room posse. Right? It it, it wasn't Nathan's desire to get vengeance. It wasn't Nathan's vendetta against David. It was the Lord. And this is so important. If the Lord sends you to be light, to confront darkness, he's got your back. He's got your back. Yeah, I got an amen on that one. Okay, the Lord sent Nathan to David. When he came to him, he said this, and this is so good. 
This is so good and so important that we understand this. And I, I learned this uh, recently, or I was reminded of this in a book that I started reading called The 33 Strategies of War, hashtag history nerds forever. That's my own hashtag. I just hashtag myself. That was awesome. 33 Strategies of War. And, and I'm reading this book because I've been playing a lot of risk with my family. It's working. In fact, last weekend, uh, I was the lonely guy down in South America. You guys know what I'm talking about, risk players. And nobody was paying attention to me. And then all of a sudden, three hours later, I am dominating the world. Nobody even saw me coming. 33 Strategies of War. Oh, yeah. Read it. Play risk. Your family will love it. Here's what happened, though. As I have amassed all these armies and I'm coming after my children, my wife says to me, you have gone too far. She gets up from the table and she leaves. I say, fine, woman, I'll take over your properties too. No, I didn't say that. I didn't say that. In my mind, I said that. But one of the 33 strategies of war is this, and and this is important, in case you care, in case you play risk, or in case you have to confront an immoral or unethical person, that rarely, rarely is a direct attack successful, even if you have the numbers, even if you have superior numbers. And here's why, and Napoleon figured this out, is that when you directly attack the enemy, their resolve doubles, sometimes triples, because they see you coming, and they are fighting for their lives. They get really, really, really defensive when you attack them directly. So the strategy is when you can, always go for the flank. Always go for the weak side. Always go for the surprise attack. Don't let them see you coming. So what does Nathan do? He applies the sneak attack. Oh, I like this. When he, Nathan, came to him, he said, there were two men in a certain town. Oh, I like this story, Nathan. This is good. This is good. Hey, bring us some, bring us some coffee. I want to hear Nathan's little story about these two men in a certain town. One rich and the other poor. The rich man had a very large number of sheep and cattle, But the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb he had bought. I can see David right now going, oh, wow. What a humble little farmer. What happens? He raised it and he grew and it grew up with him and his children. It it, it shared his food and drank from his cup and even slept in his arms. It was like a daughter to him. Oh, Nathan, I like this story. Now, a traveler came to the rich man, but the rich man refrained from taking one of his own sheep or cattle to prepare a meal for the traveler who had come to him. Instead, what did he do? Instead, he took the ewe lamb that belonged to the poor man. Remember the little poor man with the sheep that he holds in his arms? Like a daughter to him. David's sitting there going, "Uh -uh, uh-uh, what's getting ready to happen? Oh, just listen. Listen, David. Belonged to the poor man and prepared it for the one who had come to him. He took this rich man who had all these cattle and all these sheep and all this livestock, didn't take from his own stock, but went to the one man who had the little one and took it and slaughtered it and fed it to his guest. David burned with anger. 
against the man and said to Nathan, what did he say to Nathan? As surely as the Lord lives, this man who did this must die, exclamation point. He must pay for that lamb four times over because he did such a thing and had no pity, no pity. He didn't even care. He had no conscience about what he did. Then Nathan said to David, you are the man. You are him. David, that is you. That's what you did. And in that moment, David knew exactly that he was being called out by a prophet of God. That light was bringing out the darkness. Mm. The Lord had sent Nathan to bring light. Listen, and this is so important. We bring sin to light through confrontation. Through confrontation. At some point, even in Nathan's little flank move about the story, what did Nathan have to say? David, it's you. It's you. You have done this. And you know something? I know that the Lord is calling you to be light into some darkness. At some point, you just have to realize that confrontation is a part of bringing about repentance. Look at this. Godly confrontation doesn't seek to condemn, though, but to restore. Why is Nathan there? He is there not to condemn David, but to restore him, to restore him. He isn't coming in there to say, hey, guns a-blazing, and you, 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 Shame, shame, shame. No, he's saying, look, David, this is what you have done. You had no conscience about it, but I'm here to tell you that you can be restored. Second Samuel chapter 12, verse 13. What does David do? It says, then David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. Nathan replied, the Lord has taken away your sin. You are not going to die. What happens confrontation catalyzes repentance. Some of you are tolerating darkness in your family because you don't want to confront your dad. I don't want to dishonor him. I, I don't want him to be mad at me. And yet you know the Lord has said, you can help be a part of his restoration. You're not going there to dishonor him. You're not going there to condemn them. You're going there to be light for him. And somebody's got to stand up and say, it's not good that you're doing this. Somebody's got to walk into the boss's office and say, hey, can, can I close the door? Can we talk about something right now? Hey, the way that you're talking to our coworker seems out of line and inappropriate. Confrontation catalyzes repentance. I've heard this said, churches suffer from terminal niceness. Yeah, we're too nice to sometimes walk up to somebody with love, in private, with the heart of restoration, and say, hey, I don't think that you're doing the right thing. I think what you're doing right now is hurting. And you know what? Here's what the enemy tells us. Well, who are you? 
Who are you to be light to anybody? You got your own baggage. You got your own sin. Nathan was not perfect. Nathan was called. And Nathan's heart was a heart of restoration. I think some of you today are being called. You're being called to confront. And it scares you to death. And you want to ignore it. You want to just quit. And the last thing you want to do is confront it. Because you know that that sets you up to be vulnerable for your own attack. But I'm going to tell you this. When the Lord calls you, he has got your back. He's got your back. He's got your back. Listen, and I want, I want you to write this down. This is, this is huge. This is huge. Go ahead and bring that up. Be obedient and be humble as a follower who goes to confront a leader. Be obedient. Just listen, get out of your own head. Get out of your own head because, you're, because your own mind is going to convince you that you are a hypocrite and that you're too weak and you're too afraid to do this. Listen, if God has called you, he will go before you. He has got your back. But listen, don't forget this. 5% of the population, you know who you are. You're the challengers. You're the confronters. Be humble. Be humble. Go in there with a broken heart for this person. Not for one of vengeance, one of humility. Which brings us to this, seek restoration and repentance. That is your goal. That should always be your goal. I I, I just want you to get restored. I, I, I want you to repent. I want you to rethink what you're doing and get on the right track again. And it's gonna be hard, but but you can take that step today. What about those who are leaders though? And maybe that's you today. Maybe, maybe, maybe I just spoke to your spouse and your spouse is about to speak to you today. And you're gonna see it as a direct attack and you're gonna double up your defenses. That's what I wanna say to you if you're a leader today. Listen, listen to your followers. Uh, and listen, it's hard. It's hard sometimes when, when, when my kids come to me and, and they have to say, Dad, I, I don't think you handled that right. Dad, Dad I, it really hurt me when you did that. Dad, you know that situation, how you handled that, that person at Walmart or how you, you fill in the blank. Man, it's hard. It's hard to hear that, but it is your freedom. I, I just was with a friend of mine who 10 years ago, blew up his marriage with an affair. And, and he, he finally got so double-minded and so dark in his duplicity that he confessed. He just said, I, I can't do this anymore. And he went to his wife and he went to his employers and he, he confessed. And you know what happened? In the end, he lost his job. He, he lost his livelihood. He lost his career. He, he lost his wife in the end. Now, he didn't see it going down that way, but he knew, he knew that sometimes that's the cost of freedom. That truth, truth doesn't always lay this easy path for you. But I looked at him last week across the table and he says, I am still sad. He says, I don't think that's ever gonna, I still have regrets. I wish it didn't go down that way. But I'm gonna tell you something right now. 
I'm free. I'm free. My heart is not tangled anymore. My heart is not concealed anymore. I, 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 don't, I don't look at people in the, the eyes and have to look down because I'm hiding something. I, 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 don't, I, I can look people in the eyes now and, and look at them as they look at me knowing that I'm wholehearted in who I am. And I think some of you, you just need to listen today. You need to listen to people who are following you because they're telling you something. And listen, come clean. Come clean. That's what, that's what happened with David. David, David just said, I, 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 can't, I can't believe I did this, but I did it. I lost my way. I sinned. And I repent and I'm sorry. And he began to live with the consequences of that sin. But to the day he died, God said he was a man after his own heart. Listen, you are not perfect. You may be lost right now in the weeds of a cover-up. But I'm going to tell you something today. You can be free. And some of you are asking, like, why even bother with this? Why, why confront this person in my life? Why confront this leader in my life? Why would I even do that? Why would I risk all of that? Why would I risk coming clean? And I'm going to tell you why. Because it's what Jesus did for you. It's what he did for you. You, you know what he says in John chapter 3, verse 17, right after he says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. This is what he says. He says, God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. He, he, he didn't come to say, I am condemning you of your sin. He said, I have come to confront you with it so that you can turn from it. I've come to tell you what is wrong with your heart and what is wrong with your mind. Not because I hate you. Not because I want to shame you. Not because I, I, I want to condemn you. But because I want to rescue you. I want to rescue you. I want to see you restored to my heavenly father. And somewhere in your life, you got a hold of that truth. You know you did. You know that, that, that all of the justification and all the cover-up finally came down to you just releasing control and just saying, I am sorry for what I've done. And I want to be restored. And it was in that moment that Jesus swept in to do what he does. And that is save you. Save you. He did not come to confront, to condemn you. He confronted you to save you. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. Listen, today, today, just like that girl in the first service, you can walk out of here rescued. Because it's not Jesus that condemns you. It's the sin of your life that condemns you. And if you just believe that Jesus is who he says is, you can be restored back to God. And I believe that's why you came today. I believe you came to hear that today. But whoever does not believe stands condemned already. Jesus says, look, I didn't, I didn't come to condemn you because you're already condemned. It's your sin that does that. It's not God that does that. It's your sin that does that. And if you won't believe, if you will stay hard-hearted and you will continue to conceal this, listen, your sin is going to destroy you. Your sin is going to separate you from God. God came to restore and rescue you. And in order to do that, we have to be confronted 
But how does Jesus confront us? He confronts us on a cross. He gave us a life for you and me. He says, this is how much I want you to get this. And I think some of you have been running from it and resisting it because of fear and rebellion and, and darkness. And today, today, the Holy Spirit has come to you and said, it's time to come clean and come to the light and start living in freedom again. They have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Jesus kind of brings it home there. He just says, look, look, this is the verdict. God is on the move. He's bringing light and he's bringing it through so many of you. But there are gonna be people who, who love darkness more than light. And that's not on you. That's not on you. And if the Lord calls you, he's got your back. Today, be obedient, be humble, seek restoration, seek repentance. And if you're a leader, listen to people that are following you. And if you've got sin in your life, come clean, stop justifying it, stop making excuses for it. Just ask forgiveness and let the chips fall where they may. What happened? If we unleash that kind of spirit in our communities, in our world, in our workplaces, I think a little bit more of God's kingdom would come to this earth. That's what we're called to. Thanks so much for listening today. We believe that everyone has a next step towards Jesus and we'd love to help you take yours. Email us at hello at brentwoodchurch.org or visit our website, brentwoodchurch.org slash next steps. Until next time, go change the world.